most often wonder what is life all about what is the purpose of life what is the point in studying hard gaining a high paying job living a lifestyle with a lot of achievements what does it lead to my life was empty and vain and i i was wondering just like wise king solomon said in ecclesiastes meaningless meaningless life is all meaningless and i was wondering is it what really matters in this life after christ met me i found assurance that has never left me jesus was right for everything that was wrong in my life my life was transformed radically through the grace and mercy and the love that came with no conditions now i am assured that even when i have self doubts or i go through some tough time i know i can do all things through christ who strengthens me Well, hello. It is great to be with you today. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Why don't you go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout, and you'll see we're in week two of a series called Change for Good. This series started last week on Easter Sunday when we talked about how we are changed for good through the cross, where Jesus died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, wiped clean, the slate just totally erased of all of our dark marks and, and uh, you know, the bad deeds and the selfish stuff and the rude and all that. God, Jesus just took it all away on the cross so we could be changed for good because of forgiveness. And then we talked about what the empty tomb means, that, that there's this incredible power that, that bursts Jesus from the grave and, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and that same power is now available for us to live our lives as well. So we're changed for good because of the cross, we're changed for good because of the empty tomb. And, and when I say changed for good, by the way, you need to understand that it doesn't just mean changed for the positive, although that's true. We are positively impacted because of these truths, these realities of God's love in our lives. But I want you to understand that we are changed permanently. Right? We are changed eternally that when we step into the stream of faith, when we trust Christ, that something radical and substantive happens at the deepest levels of who we are and we are sincerely transformed by the grace and the love of God for each and every one of us. And that's the good news. That's what's so exciting. That's what we celebrate. And the journey of this transformation process, it's actually called discipleship or spiritual formation. And so that's kind of what we're talking about. What does it look like for us to live lives that are changed for good, that are transformed by God's grace? And so I want to start with a definition. It's just what it means to transform, to change in composition or structure. Is, is that what's happening spiritually? A little bit. To change the outward form or appearance of, yeah, there's some behavior stuff that changes, sure. To change in character or condition, convert, yeah, that's happening as well. And then to cause a, like a genetic transformation, literally at the very core of who we are, is there a transformation? Absolutely. So all of these things are happening because of the love of Jesus. I love this definition the most. It says, to change someone or something from someone or something into someone or something else. 
That makes it quite clear. Look at this. I found this online as well. Time had transformed gangly little Rachel into a lovely young woman. Manners transformed Tom from a pest into a prince. Apparently, these were written in the 1950s. Uh, and then here are words that mean roughly the same. They're, they're around the word transformation. Look at this word, alchemize. Alchemize. Uh, I just read a book called The Alchemist. An alchemist is someone who transforms lead into gold. To alchemize, isn't that exactly what God is doing in our lives? He's taken these hearts of lead and he's transforming them into hearts of gold. And that's the business of what God is up to. That's, that's what the spiritual formation is all about, that there's this transformation, that this transfiguration, a metamorphosis that's happening as God does His work in our lives. And we all want to be better. We all want to do more, live large, make an impact. We want our lives to count for something. And it's God's grace that gives us the power that we need to be changed for good. But I also want you to notice the title of today's message. It's more than a montage. And and here's why we're going after this concept. Because in American culture today... We have all seen movies, and I don't mean just a few, I mean dozens and dozens and dozens of movies where someone is a down-and-out boxer from the wrong side of the tracks, and they begin to work out during the space of one six-minute song, and at the end of that montage, they are, you know, contenders for the title. You, you think about it, you know, Michael Keaton and Mr. Mom, and he's hopelessly a mess, and then he, six minute song, and then he is Mr. Mom at the end, or Happy Gilmore, you know, or, uh, uh, Karate Kid, right? You just know all of these movies that we've seen. So I just want you to understand that what we're talking about is a little bit more transformative than just this video. If, if it were that easy, you guys were all there. Let's go, you know? Hey, uh, the deal is it is more than a montage and, and it is more than just a few minutes of mental focus. It's, it's more than just a few minutes of, of self-discipline. What we're talking about is a, the kind of transformation that really happens at the core level of who we are. It's deep, substantive and eternal change. And it's a change that God himself is working in our lives. So I want you to look at this verse. We had it up during the worship earlier. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And so what this says is that God has not only created, but he has recreated us. That the old life that we lived is now gone, and there is a new life that we are living. The old person is gone, and there is a new person that is living, a person who's living faith out in Jesus Christ. And, and that is the core reality of who we are. Again, the only way this is possible is through the cross where Christ forgives us and through the empty tomb where Christ empowers us. But if you've placed your trust in him, that is the truest thing about you. That that is at the core level of who you are. That is true. You've gone from a creation of God to a child of God. You've gone from an orphan into the family of God. You've been knit together. and, And so this is the reality. This is who we are. 
The problem is, like, um, some of us, we look at our lives, we don't see that kind of radical transformation. Uh, some of us are like, you know what, I was a pretty decent person before I trusted Christ, and I'm a pretty decent person now, not that much change. Or like in my case, maybe some of your cases, you're like, you know what, I was a total mess before I trusted in Jesus, and now that I trust Jesus, I'm a glorious mess, right? Like, shameless self-promotion right there. But here's what Paul says. Paul, Paul talks about this process in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. That's what I want you to focus on. Circle that phrase. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we're to let God transform us. We're to allow God His work in transformation. We're, we're to yield to the work that He's accomplishing in us and not fighting it, not resisting it. We're to cooperate with Him. That first part of the verse says that we're not to copy the behavior and customs of this world because when we copy the behavior and customs and, and the practices of this world, we are resisting God's work. We're not yielding to the work that he wants to do within us, but we're to allow him, we're to work with him. And by faith, if we cooperate with him, we'll see the transformation happening in our lives. The bulk of the power, the bulk of the work is done on God's end of the equation. What we need to do is submit to him and yield to his desire for us. The Apostle Paul also writes this. It's not on your notes, it's, but it'll be on the screen. I'd love to have you look this up later. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. Isn't that powerful? God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. So friends, God provides the power for change. His spirit is the primary change agent in each of our lives. And, and he's the one who sanctifies us. That's a theological word. And all it means is he makes us whole and he makes us holy. That's the work of God's spirit that's happening in each and every one of us who have said yes to our faith in Jesus Christ. By the way, I'm reading two incredible books right now for this series. And if you're looking for additional reading, I recommend them to you. It's The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges and The Utter Relief of Holiness by John Eldridge. And I, I, I highly recommend these because it really does show the process that we get to participate in. But it is a cooperation with God in order for us to be changed for good. So I want to give you a few analogies this morning, and the first is the analogy of surfing. I'm going to teach you how to surf this morning. And some of you know that I love to surf. I hail from Southern California. I was wearing a surf shirt the other day in a restaurant, and a, uh, the gal who was seating us said, oh, do you surf? I said, oh, I love to surf. She says, you know, I've been meaning to try surfing. And I said, if you want to learn to surf, you know where you should go? Anywhere outside of Washington. Um, go someplace where the weather and the waves are not angry at you. Okay, that, that would be good. But uh, so here's the deal. I want to teach you how to surf. Pastor Josh is going to be our surf instructor, our model today. And um, if you want to learn to surf, the first thing you must do is banish your fear. So let me tell you a couple things. You have to banish your fear that a wave will throw you over. It will. 
You have to banish your fear of jaws. That won't happen. Uh, you have to banish your fear of looking like a fool. You will. So all these things, you just have to banish fear. And you have to go ahead and say, I'm going to jump in the water. I'm going to paddle around. But you know that the surfer does not create the wave. Right? You know this. So what are you paddling around for? Well, the surfer's just paddling around, doing some scoping out. He's seeing where the waves are. She's seeing where the waves are breaking. Where is the ideal place for me to position myself so that I can cooperate with the wave? All right? You looking around, Joshy? Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Looks pretty good with the wave behind you there. That's cool. By the way, Josh actually won a surf contest. Well, he's like in the, the top heat of a surf contest. So he's a real surfer. I'm not. So anyway, learn from him. Here's the deal. Uh, when the surfer sees the wave, he positions himself in the wave, and then it's some pretty hard work, right? There's, there's a, a burst of speed as the surfer tries to catch the wave. But once he's caught the wave, the wave takes over entirely. And the surfer just pops to his board, and he cooperates with the wave. That's right. (laughs) I don't even know what that is, Josh. That's crazy. (laughs) Hey, can we thank Josh for showing us how to surf today? The bearded wonder. It's just gorgeous. So, listen, every instruction in Scripture is about what we need to get rid of and what we need to embrace in order to do just that. In order to cooperate with the power of God so that we can catch the spiritual wave that He's bringing. We don't do the stuff on our own strength. We simply cooperate with Him and yield to Him so that we can have the spiritual ride. All of us in faith, in essence, we're spiritual surfers, if that makes sense. Okay, so you have to recognize that. Now, at the beginning of talking about spiritual formation, I think I have to say, many of you have heard me say this before, but friends, I'm not a Christian because I am naturally moral or naturally good or naturally selfless. In fact, um, those things are very unnatural to me. I'm a Christian because I am desperate for Jesus to help me with those things. And he is the one, as I've placed my faith in him, that I've seen his work of transformation happen within me. And I know many, many here could give that same testimony. And so I look back over the course of my life and I see, you know what? When I placed my faith in Christ, I was transformed by grace. And in certain senses, now I look at my life and I see the journey that God has me on. I see that I'm being transformed by grace. And when I look ahead at the end of my life, when I stand before the Lord God on that last day, I realize I will be transformed by grace. So there are all these simultaneous truths happening at the same time. And and right now, we're sort of stuck in the middle. We're caught in the meantime. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul talks about this wrestling match that he's engaged in. And it's this wrestling match against the old person that he once was. Now he knows he's the new person. He still wrestles against the old person. He wrestles with the old life. He knows he's not the old life anymore. He's this new life, but he wrestles with the old life. And he talks honestly about what that wrestle match looks like and how it causes him to get discouraged at times and to despair at times. But he concludes by saying, thank God there is hope in Jesus Christ alone. 
That he is the one who gives me the hope. That he is the one who provides the work of transformation within me. That's the only hope we have, is the hope in Jesus. And, and notice that Paul never ever pretends that he has been perfected. He never pretends that he has arrived. Look at this next verse, Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this, he says, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. So he presses on. He does everything he can to cooperate with the work uh, that God is doing within him. And if we're going to be spiritual surfers, right, if we're going to cooperate with the work of the Lord within each one of us, and we're going to be spiritual surfers, there's some things that we have to leave behind. Just like if you're going to go out surfing, there's some things you don't want to bring out on the board with you. You don't want to bring a rocking chair with you. You don't want to bring a weight set with you, right? Sumo wrestler. Like, there's certain things that you're like, look, I'm going to leave them on the beach if I'm going to go surfing, and that's the same thing. If you're going to cooperate with God's Spirit, there's some things that we've got to jettison. And so there's a couple of things on your outline that I want to give you. The first thing that we have to be willing to lay down is leave behind our blindness. Now, this is a problem and it's difficult because we can't see what we can't see. That's why they call it a blind spot. Uh, We don't know where we're ignorant. And in some cases, ignorance is bliss. So we don't want to know what we don't know. We are unaware of these areas in each one of our lives where we are actually desperate for the work of Jesus Christ. But we don't know. We're blind. You know, when Jesus was here on this earth, he said to the Pharisees, I wish you were blind, because if you were blind, I could help you to see. But since you think you can see, I can't do anything for you. So friends, uh, none of us want to be there. And so we've got to be willing to lay down our blindness. And in order to do that, we have to sincerely pray David's prayer. I put it on your outline. This is David's prayer from the Psalms. Psalm 139. David says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And we are invited to pray that prayer, not just once, friends, but that's a prayer that we come back to again and again and again. That if we want to cooperate with God, we want to continue to do, see the work of transformation happen in our lives, then we're going to have to pray that prayer often as a state, a, a posture that we have before the Lord. Martin Luther, the great theologian, wrote, uh, Repentance is not the beginning of the Christian faith. Repentance is the act continually happening in the Christian faith. That we continue to pray, God, show me where I'm, I'm off track. Show me where I'm, I'm thinking offensively, acting offensively, where what I'm going on, what I'm stewing on, where I'm thinking about, how it's not in line with the work that you're doing of transformation. Uh, an analogy that I would say is, is think about a dimmer switch on a light. There, there are times, uh, we've got a dimmer switch on some of the lights in our home and some of the rooms, and, and so there are times when, like for example, down in the living room, I, I like the dimmer switch at about 50%, it's about halfway. And one of the reasons I like that is because you come in there and it looks all comfy and cozy and clean and it's just fun to hang out in the family room that way. But then every once in a while my wife turns the dimmer switch all the way up and then it's, it doesn't look as clean. And you see, like, oh, look, there's a stain on the coffee table, and the windows are smudged, and the carpet's a little threadbare. And, like, all the imperfections you can see with full illumination. So, you know what, let's just turn it down. Much nicer. 
But when you pray David's prayer, what you're praying is, God, would you turn the light on inside me? Would you show me some of these dark corners that I don't want to deal with, but I know I need to? Would you show me where I'm thinking selfishly, where I'm, where I'm rude, where I'm, where I'm working just on my own angle, agenda, etc.? And, and you just ask the Holy Spirit to work in you and illuminate these dark places of your life. We have to be willing to lay down our blindness. And in addition to laying down our blindness, the second thing we've got to deal with is our consumerism. Our consumerism. And, and so I, I want you to track with me for a moment. Could it be that there are many, many within the church, not Overlake in general, but in the church at large, who are consumers of Christianity, but neglectors of Jesus Christ? Um, isn't it weird to think of this deal in church world that, that many people shop for a church like they shop for a car. And they go for a test drive and they put it through the paces. They see how it feels. And, and what they're really saying is, how does this experience serve me? How does it meet my needs? And, 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 and again, this is just where we are, so I'm not like pointing finger, but you have to realize that when Paul was writing the scripture, when Peter was writing the scripture, when James was writing the scripture, the thought of someone trying out a church experience was the farthest thing from their mind. In their worst nightmare, they couldn't have imagined that the church would become like that. No, no, for, for them, the church was, was the living organism of the body of Christ present on earth. It was a, a movement of those inspired by God's grace, grateful for God's love. They were going out to change the world, to tell people the good news. God loves you. God cares for you. We're a part of this thing together. Let's make a positive change for the world. Let's be changed so we can change the world. But consumerism has just cre- crept into the whole thing. And we, and we just see this, right? And, and uh, it, it's American culture. It's, it, it's life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. So often, you know, capitalism's great for a fallen planet. It's great, but I want to tell you, it's, it's not what the church is about. And so what happens is it seeps into the church culture where we want what we want and we like what we like. And it's not just that we want nice things for our lives. We feel like in, in some insidious way, we deserve them. We're entitled to them. And it's what happens in our faith journey as well. Let me tell you the worst part about it. The worst part about it is sometimes people, men and women who have been in faith for the longest, feel the most entitled. And it's tough and it's an issue that we just, we gotta be humble enough to deal with. And so, I wanna tell you that, uh, I'll, I'll just use a recent example at Overlake and then we can kinda of talk about the, the broader implications, but, um, occasionally we get people who don't like stuff about our church, which is fine. Like, I, I totally get that. And so over the years, I've been at Overlake, uh, this is nine years now, and I've been in ministry for 21 years, gotten all kinds of complaints through the years. People don't like how I dress. People don't like how big the parking lot is. People don't like how my face looks like Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like, there's all kinds of things. Oh, okay, I got it, you know. And some of the complaints come in and they're joking. Some of the complaints come in and they're, they're hurtful. And like, I, that's just par for the course. But, but recently what we've done at Overlake is, is we're trying to make a big church feel close and connected. We're trying to do interaction and dynamic worship in this room. And so the ushers have, tr- have now uh, been given the task, hey, we're going to seat people together so there's actual interaction. People are getting to know one another, that kind of thing. And you know what? People, some people, not all people, but some people don't like that we're telling you where you need to sit. Like I just, some people are like, whoa, no, no, I, I was saved in this seat. This seat is my, you know, like the whole deal. 
So we've gotten some cards. It's not too many. It's just, you know, eight or 10 or 12. It's not that many. And some of them are, are kind of funny and, you know, they make me laugh and others aren't so funny. And here's the deal. I don't, just don't write me any more cards. But the, the point that, that I want you to see is that I got one card and I want to tell you what it said. And then we're going to deal with sort of the implications of what it said. The, the one card I got, it said, we deserve to sit wherever we want to. It's all about Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to address, I don't know who wrote the card, and honestly, I don't want to know. Typically, when that happens, somebody complains, I don't want to know, because I'll see you in the hallway, and I'll feel embarrassed for you. You'll feel embarrassed for me. Like, like, I don't want that. So I don't know, so that way I get to love everybody, because honestly, ignorance is bliss sometimes. Um, but what I want you to see is, if you don't reveal that you wrote the card, no one will know, so please, just, if you did write it, don't say. But what I want to do is address that person right now, but, but I want to address it in a, a loving, non-ranty kind of way. So I'm going to pretend that my mom wrote that card, even though she doesn't live here and, and she doesn't go to our church. Uh, but I just kind of think that I could have this conversation with my mom if she were to write that card. Uh, and so I'm going to have that conversation right now. So... Mom, listen, thank you for the Easter card. That was, that was really awesome. And thank you for the, for the care package you sent the kids last week. They loved the, uh, the uh, cockroach marshmallow peeps thing. That was, that was a good idea. Um, but mom, we gotta, we gotta talk about that card you wrote. Um, I, I deserve to sit where I want to sit. It's all about Jesus. Mom, you realize that that's an oxymoron, right? That, that, that those two phrases are contradictions. They, they, they can't sit next to each other. Uh, if it's all about Jesus, then there's no deserve to sit, you know. And, and if you deserved something, then it's not all about Jesus. You just realize you can't, you, you can't put them together. And then this, and then the second thing, Mom, and this is, this is the important thing, is that, uh, you deserve nothing. I, I deserve nothing. If I start talking about what I deserve from a holy and perfect God, the answer is his wrath. The answer is his rejection. The answer is him turning his back on me because he is perfect and I am not. And he has seen me stumble again and again and again and walk my own way again and again and again and choose myself over others again and again and again. And so if I start walking the road of clamoring for what I deserve, the answer is nothing. And not only that, but think about the ages of Christianity where where those who have walked before us have walked the road of martyrdom. And walk the road of poverty, where people who have said yes to Jesus Christ and they have been driven out of their friendships and they've had to leave their families behind and they've lost their livelihood and their homes and even their lives. There are more people in prison for Jesus Christ today than have ever been in prison for Christ before. There are more martyrs today, today, than have ever been martyred for the sake of Christ before in history. And, and what do I deserve that is better than my forefathers? And so, for an usher to ask you to sit a couple rows ahead. So I, I do just want to say this, that um, not to my mom. Again, she's not here. I'll have a follow-up conversation with her. She knows I love her. 
I do want to say this. They, they, please don't write any more cards about this. Um, because if you do, I'm going to ask the ushers to find out where you sit. <laughs> and next week you're going to come in and your row will be gone. Okay? So just enough foolishness about that, right? And, and honestly, I, I mean this sincerely, that issue maybe impacts eight of you. So it's, it's not a big deal. So here's the deal. I want you to make it personal now. Where is it that you feel entitled? Where is it that you think that the entire purpose of faith is just to serve you? It's just all about you and where are your needs and it's just all about you. And if one church isn't meeting your needs, you go to the next church, they'll meet your needs. And if they don't meet your needs, you go to the next church. And it's just all about consumer. It's all about how people make you feel. Because honestly, we're talking about being transformed and cooperating with the Lord. And, and, and that is challenging. And it is. It takes more than a montage, right? And so we, we have to realize that. Now, let me tell you a better way to go. A better way to go is to realize how much God loves you. And how his mercies are new for you every single morning. And how he died on the cross with you in mind. That he saw your face and he knew your sin. And he loved you so completely and sincerely that he took all of your sin from you on the cross. And he gives you now his power and his life. And he invites you into a new day where you can be filled with joy. And you can live with purpose and peace. And you can have eternity secure. And how great to live with absolute gratitude for his love. That's what we want, right? That's who we want to be. So we reject consumerism. We reject entitlement. We reject blindness, right? We have to. If we're going to be cooperating with the work of God in our lives, we've got to lay some things down. And we've got to pick a couple of things up. And so real quickly, the things that we need to pick up, number one, is we have to set some spiritual goals for our, for our life. In other words, we have to embrace the transformation that God wants to have happen in us. And so for us, for some of you, you're going to have to build in some more prayer, right? And, and I don't just mean longer prayer times, although for some of you, that's where you are. But I just mean during the course of your day, that you would turn to the Lord more and more. You know, all of you, you spend your day thinking, you spend your day processing, analyzing. Would you turn some of that time to just talking to Jesus? Just in your mind, just, just go to the Lord as you're driving somewhere, just turn to the Lord, that you would set a goal for yourself that, that talking to Jesus would be a priority. For some of you, it's His Word. That uh, you've never had a, a, a Bible, maybe, or you've never had a reading plan. You've never had a buddy or, or a sister to, to read through certain texts with and to, and to talk about. And so I would encourage you to set some spiritual goals for yourself. Aim high. Right, Set big goals, but then also celebrate the victories along the way. Because every time you celebrate a victory, you see something happen. You see a behavior kind of fade away. You see a new habit be built in that's a real positive thing for your life. You celebrate those victories. Actually, God meets you there, and His delight is evident in you. And there's such, such good stuff that happens. So set some spiritual goals for yourself. And the second thing is motivate yourself to action. Motivate yourself. Can I just tell you the number one way to be motivated is to have some friends that are around you that will encourage you. Now, the primary way that we do this at Overlake is groups. We do life groups, we do support groups. 
And if you are not in a life group, I really want to recommend that you would get into one, that you would just begin to do life with some men and women who love you, who have the same spiritual goals that you have, want to cooperate with the Lord in terms of transformation. They love you completely, but they're not impressed with you at all, right? And, and so that you can have honest conversation and dialogue and, and journey together. And this is, is so important for the motivation that you'll keep going, that you'll keep walking with Jesus, that you'll keep going after your spiritual goals. I found this quote by Zig Ziglar. He says, people often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. Okay? <laughs> and so we, we want to continue to motivate ourselves along the journey. And the best way to do that is to have fellowship around you. Okay. So these are some ways in which we can cooperate with the work of God that is in us for transformation. He's alchemizing our hearts, turning leaden hearts into gold. He's metamorphosizing us. We're we're being changed from one creature to another, right? And and as I close, I just want to close with the greatest analogy. I'm sure you've heard this analogy before. I know I've heard it before. It's the analogy of a butterfly, right? The transformation that happens in the different phases of the life cycle of a butterfly. See, what God is doing is he's taking us and, and he finds us as creatures who are crawling, And he transforms us, he metamorphosizes us into creatures who are winged, okay? So think about the butterfly, the different phases of a butterfly uh, life cycle. You've got the pupa phase, right, where they're they're the crawling caterpillar. And then you've got the chrysalis phase where they cocoon up. And then out of that, they're winged creatures. Recently, uh, the Howerton clan, we, we've just done this thing. I don't know if you've ever done this thing where you send away and you get the butterflies. And, and uh, for Christmas, um, Jody got a, an atrium, a butterfly atrium, and sent away for the thing. And so we had five caterpillars sent to our home. And they come in a little jar. It's got some food in the bottom of it. And, and so we go inside, and, and there are five caterpillars. There's five of us in, in the uh, Howerton clan. And so we each named one Cindy, Charles, Petunia, Meister, and Dingus. Those were our five. <laughs> and every day we were excited to see their progress. And so every day the Howerton five would come down, and we'd look at the caterpillar five, and we'd see how they were doing. And if they're eating and they're getting bigger, they did. And we watched their process, and you know, they went through the, the pupa phase successfully. And then they all, chrysalis, they all went through the cocooning stage uh, successfully. And then they all emerged. They all became winged creatures successfully. And it was, it was a beautiful process to watch. And, and they were fluttering around in the little atrium we had. And so on one uh, sunny, sunny afternoon, we went outside and, and we set our caterpillars free. Or, or butterflies by this time, sorry. Uh, and so they're butterflies and, and we set them free and, and we want them to fly. They don't fly. Um, they, they, they crawl. In fact, each one of them um, crawled onto a, a blade of grass and then they arched their back and they just looked up at the sky, right? Just the big blue sky. And it's, it's kind of funny because Doozy, my son, he, he was like looking at him really intently for a few minutes, watching him look at the sky. And then he was like. <laughs> what do you call a butterfly that doesn't fly? You know, butter walk. Butter. I, nah, I so I'm watching these five butterfly that have successfully been transformed but are walking 
And it just hit me like a clap of thunder. Ah, oh, that's me so often. So in my journaling, the next morning, I wrote, Lord, how many ways am I like one of those butterflies? Not living the life, the passion, the design, the creative uniqueness that you have in mind for me. Please allow me to be filled with your spirit and to walk in your truth. Please allow my vessel to be cleansed and to be filled completely with your radiant light. Please find me ready and willing to fly. And the next day we went out and they all were there. But the sun was out warming them. And they were opening and closing their wings in the sunshine. And by the end of the afternoon, they all had flown away. And that's my prayer for you and it's my prayer for me. That we would not only be transformed, but that we would cooperate with the power of God so that we could live as the winged creatures that he has created us to be. And it is a work that happens. Substantially it happens. Transformatively it happens when we say yes to a relationship with Jesus. Okay, We are changed for good. And it is happening right now, friends. God is at work within each and every one of you and you are being changed for good. And it will happen on that last day when you stand perfected before the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be changed for good. In fact, that last verse on your outline is from Paul's writing in Philippians 1.6. He says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So this has been a kind of a hard week for me. And uh, some of you know why. A, a dear friend of ours named Michelle, a peer, somebody... Jody, especially, and myself have been walking a road of friendship with for a while, and she suffered from uh, stage four breast cancer, and, and it took her life on Monday. And it was hard, and, and it was painful. I didn't realize how hard it was. There was a lot of grief associated with that. And then a couple weeks ago, uh, my friend Steve uh, passed away. Same thing, cancer took his life. And Steve, uh, I served with Steve. He was an elder here at Overlake and a hero of faith. And, and then Friday night, uh, a friend of mine, young man, 27 years old, friend Matthew, took his own life. And he, he had been, uh, he, he'd been wrestling. He'd been a, a, a tortured soul his, all of his days. And it finally, it finally ended on Friday night. And he, he was in my college group uh, a decade ago. I actually mentored Matthew for a while and so to find out that he took his life it was it was huge and I, I say all these things um, first off it reminds me so completely that we live in the meantime and so let's have grace for one another um, but you know this verse seems incredibly powerful today Because, you know, Michelle, after her years of battling with stage four cancer, she is now standing in the presence of Jesus Christ, and she's been changed for good. And Steve, who lived heroically, he is now standing perfected in the presence of Christ, changed for good. And my poor buddy Matthew is now standing in the presence of Jesus Christ. And all of his pain and all of his, his tortured existence, it's all gone. 
and he is changed for good. And so what I want to do is I just want to close in prayer and, and I want to invite you to cooperate fully with the work of Jesus Christ, the work that he wants to do in your life. That today what you do is you take seriously this idea of laying down your blindness and laying down consumerism. You take seriously this idea of setting goals for yourself spiritually and, and being motivated to pursue those goals. But more than anything else, you just say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm willing. I, 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 want, I want to embrace the change that you have for me. So let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that you're the one who does the heavy lifting in this equation. We're, th- we're so thankful. We, we cannot muster change on our own. But we do ask that you would work powerfully in each and every one of us. That you would allow us to truly trust your heart for us as good. And that you don't want to lead us into change that is, um, is not in somehow our best and not in some way for your glory. So, Lord Jesus, would you just continue your good work in each one of us? Find us submissive to you, yielding to your spirit, and ready to embrace all the good work that you want to do in each one of us. We pray this in the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.